right, Kira Lee, on Conversations Second Time, which you're the first guest second time, which is really exciting. Right. Yes, first oh, guest second cool. time. Uh, what what I'm really bummed about is when you were up here last, we probably should have carved out some time and just did one in person when you were here. I really that would have been really cool. Yeah, I that really would have been really fun. Next time, you know what? I'll come back for the trifecta next time I'm up in Alaska. It'd be great. Yeah, yeah. Well, I hope you do, and hope it's not too long. Maybe a couple years. <laughs> yeah, seems to be the way it goes at the moment. Yeah. yeah. But as we're talking right now, it's 8 p.m. here, and it is. Mm-hmm. What four p.m. Well, in Saturday? Tomorrow. Yeah, Saturday. Tomorrow. So yeah. you're almost a day ahead of <laughs> yeah. us because you're in Australia, right? Outside of Queensland, mm-hmm. right? I'm in Victoria, which is down south. Yeah, yeah. So it's like it's always a weird thing, like when you travel back and forth between Australia and the U.S. Because when you fly from here to the U.S., you get to live the same date twice, and then when you fly from the U.S. back to Australia, you skip a whole day. Like it just doesn't exist. Um, so it's kind of a weird one to get used to. <laughs> yeah. How often have you shared that story? I feel like you probably said it a handful of times to people <laughs> when you're traveling. The skip a day. Thing. Yeah, you skip oh, a day. Been, yeah, it's such a weird one because when I've had friends come over from the US, they're like, hang on, please explain this because I'm leaving on the 18th, but I get in on the 20th. I'm like, yeah, that's because the 19th doesn't exist for you. Like you'll never, you'll never live the 19th of this month. Like right. it's just, it's such a, it's like a weird thing to wrap your mind around. <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, essentially, you know, opposite seasons and everything else. Like, because what is that? A twenty-hour time difference? Uh, yeah. At the moment, it is. Yeah, yeah. It d- it depends um, on daylight savings because obviously, like with Alaska, you guys have daylight savings. So do we. So you guys come on, and then we go off, and then we go back on, and you come off, and it's yeah. So it's usually between eighteen and um, and twenty hours. It's crazy. And well, and see, that's the other thing, right? Daylight savings for you guys is a two hour swing versus here in the States, no matter where you go, it's a one hour swing. That's a one hour swing, but because we have a one hour swing and you have a one hour swing in the opposite direction. Sure. It okay. It becomes a two hour swing. If gotcha. that makes sense. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's just like constant math. It's like, you've got to, yeah, it's, I mean, just ask when, when you land, just ask the flight attendant at the time. Don't even try and figure it out, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, you're in Australia and you know, we, have stayed connected since you've been there, right? You know, in this work, this world that we were in, working together a lot, and how you're doing your own thing, which is exciting, right? Homeowner now doing that whole thing, which is yeah. also exciting. That's new since we've talked. Yeah, it's cool actually. I just calculated. I almost own twenty five percent of my house, um, and my next mortgage payment will be twenty five percent. So, yeah, pretty cool. Well, big things happening. That is awesome. So, are you renting it out or something? No, so I'm, um, my strategy at the start was just to smash down as much as I can. Um, I'm not sure if it's the same in the States, but at the moment here, um, inflation is kind of going crazy. So interest rates are rising a lot, like quite fast. And we were at record lows when I bought. So everything's kind of going up. And my, like, I, it was kind of an interesting one with my strategy because this is my first property. So I am, I wanted to kind of get a sort of a strong foothold in the market before I kind of make my next move. So my mortgage I ended up doing, um, a third of it is variable um, and like two thirds of it are fixed. So I'm lucky that my, my repayments are pretty stable, but the variable part, I'm trying to just clear it completely out um, uh, just so I can build up my equity before I make my next move. But just being self-employed, it's a little bit different. You know, if you, if you obviously work for a company and you have, you know, reliable paychecks, there are different options that you have available when you're talking to banks, but you know, being self-employed, I kind of went in for a bit of a different strategy. So, so far, so good. And I'm hoping that I'll be able to buy a second property maybe at the end of this year or start of next year. So, yeah, we'll see how we go. So you're going to expand. You're going to buy another property versus like get rid of this one and then get another one, which makes sense because you have such a good interest rate, right? I think so, yeah. And that's it. We do have a really good interest rate. And I think the thing is too, like it's so hard to get hold of property in the first place that once you get it, like you know, I don't want to let it go. I want to kind of leverage it um, as best I can. So that's kind of the plan. And also because I was quite conservative with my first purchase. So this one is a very affordable, it was a fixer-upper, you know, like I got obsessed with all the house flipping shows on, you know, YouTube and all that kind of thing. But I've been um, slowly fixing it. And um, so hopefully that's increasing the value too, but it's a place that I can afford to live while I figure out what the next kind of series of moves are going to be. So yeah, it's been really fun. Are you going to you do it somewhere within the same vicinity or are you maybe going to do it further away, something more desirable? Yeah, so probably it's been, it's a really interesting one. I mean, our market here has been really interesting since the pandemic because um, I'm not sure if you 
were aware of this or if your listeners would be aware of this, but the capital city of the state, I mean, is called Melbourne. And Melbourne was the most locked down city in the world <laughs> during COVID. Um, so there was a bit of a mass exodus when just people were streaming out of the city into all the regional kind of cities, kind of the satellite cities around it. Um, and so they saw tremendous growth. Like um, I'm in a city called Bendigo, um, which is about 300,000 people. Um, but there's another one called Ballarat, which is about an hour and a half drive from here. And I was originally looking at Ballarat, but when I started looking, it was sort of 2020, late 2020, um, and by the time I was actually ready to buy in 2021, the prices had gone up on average by $100,000 everywhere, which for your first property, that's quite a considerable increase. <laughs> um, and so, you know, the growth has been kind of um, unexpected and kind of artificially inflated, I guess, by the pandemic. But now that people have moved out, I think people are seeing the lifestyle advantages of being able to have, you know, a house with, you know, a quarter acre kind of block or more than that, you know, they can have a garden and they can have chickens and veggie patches and all that kind of stuff that they might not have been able to have living in kind of medium density or high density, um, you know, sort of inner city kind of um, areas. So, I mean, that's, yeah, it's been an interesting change. So probably, it'll probably be either here or Ballarat would be the two places I'm, I'm considering only because I think they've got really strong kind of growth prospects and they're nice places to live. So I feel like if you're going to, you know, own an investment property, you kind of want it to be a place that someone's going to want to actually live, you know, and maybe raise their family or, you know, have, you know, to have a nice life kind of thing. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of where I'm at at the moment. But, you know, I guess it's always subject to change. If different things happen, you never know what the market's going to bring, I guess. So we'll, we'll see. No matter what, though, you bought. And that's really what's the most important thing. You know, a lot of people yeah. hesitate or they're like, okay, I'll buy, you know, I'll, I'll think about buying, you know, here or then, yeah. you know, versus, you know, it was funny, I, we had a realtor, um, very successful realtor on the podcast last week. That. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. We, and he and he checked me on the timing thing, right? Like, because timing, because you're right, interest rates are really high. But yeah. I mean, when you look at so many things, it still just makes sense. Even if like you you have the funds and you have the place and you're ready to move and your place is grown and you're going to rent it out or whatever, like the timing still makes sense to do that because when you look at availability, yeah. total on property. Plus two, the yeah. buying frenzy that happened, like when you bought, right? It's it's crazy yeah. to think about how little inventory is still on the market, right? Right yeah. now, I know at least it is for us. I don't know if it's the thing, same thing for you, but like that that plays a huge role that that no matter if the interest rates grows up, may, okay, maybe you're gonna have less people, but if it's a really good buy, I, I would imagine it's still yeah. gonna be very competitive. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, obviously, I'm an advocate for, you know, spending responsibly, like, buy something that's within your means that you know you you can deal with if the interest rates continue to climb, which they probably will for us, definitely. Um, but I think, you know, they always say that, you know, the best time to buy is 20 years ago, and the second best time is now. Like, you know, I mean, you kind of, you've got to be in the market to move with it, I think, which as much of a cliche as that is, I found that to be very true. And I mean, even this house, like, this is you know, a, a very affordable, and like I say, it was a 1960s, like, wooden house. Like, it's not, you know, it's not the Taj Mahal Hotel. Like, this is not, you know, I didn't buy something, I didn't buy my forever home straight out of the gate, but I did buy something that I could improve quite quickly, Um, even just with things like new paint, like new carpets. Like, the carpets in this house were terrible, and I got the key at, like, 4.30 in the afternoon, and by 6.30, my mum and I had thrown out all of the carpets in the entire house because they were just terrible but you know immediately it makes the place better so I think that's the other thing is that you can start building equity not just by the actual property going up but by improving it you know it's kind of a, a sort of a two-pronged approach there and um yeah I mean it's definitely nice to have the options I think yeah it's yeah. it's so funny you say that because that's so similar to Chelsea and I right like when we bought our first property in 2014 um mm -hmm. We lived on subfloors. I lived on plywood floors with kills paint, white kills paint on the floors for like three years, right? And we yeah. invited people yeah. over. We had people over at that house. Like we weren't embarrassed yeah. by it, but that's, 100%. you know, that's the the life we lived, you know, and we still yeah. own that property today, right? And it's still, being, yeah. you know, we're actually doing a pretty big remodel on it right now because we're going to try to probably sell it. But, but um like the fact that like you can live on plywood floors and eight years of that hard work and effort and continue to invest in real estate, continue to build on your other businesses. Yeah. You could have your dream home and then still have this whole like side portfolio on the side. So I love that that's what you're doing. Yeah. Um, and 
I just know that it was something we talked about well before you got into it. And I know that you're going to do it. Yeah. You definitely helped inspire this journey, I think, because like it is scary. And when you're buying your first home too, because like, especially if it's going to be a place that you're going to live in, I think it's different. You know, if you're buying an investment property and it's always about the business side of things, it's a very different mindset. Whereas this one, I knew eventually it will be an investment property, but for now I'm living in it. So therefore it's also my home, which does kind of blur the line a little bit. And it does make the stakes feel very high. And also, I mean, with your first property, um, I don't know what it's like for you guys, but for me being self-employed and for my first property, I had to have quite a big deposit. So like a down payment, I had to have, um, I had to have 20% ready to go, um, which is huge. And I mean, the day that that leaves your bank account is just, I mean, it's wild because you've spent so long trying to accumulate it. So it's a very emotional thing. Um, whereas I guess like future properties probably will be a very different mindset. I think a very different approach because it's going to be a whole different set of goals. I mean, you know, whereas this one's, and I guess the other thing about this is that it's my learning house, you know, and it's kind of the first foot into market, first, you know, first time dealing with banks and dealing with contracts and dealing with everything, you know, and, um, you know, it's kind of, yeah, a good way to start with kind of low stakes learning opportunity. <laughs> I am doing everything I can as I did with you before you got into it. And it's funny because I told John, I like went and made a list of people and you were on that list. I was like, I think I've actually gotten 12 people to get into real estate, like to start this journey. Um, And I definitely know that you and I, not to say that I I did everything, but I just know that I probably poured some (laughs) gasoline on that fire for you. You you definitely were a good source of encouragement. And like in terms of making it not scary, I think those conversations I had with you before I bought were kind of helpful because you're just kind of like, it's just a thing that you do and it's a, an opportunity and you, you'll learn a lot and you'll develop a lot and you kind of, your mindset will evolve as you go. And I was like, oh, so this doesn't have to be the be all and end all of my property journey. This is a step on a ladder, you know, on a journey that's going to go for the next 30 or 40 years, you know, it's just a, you know, just a starting point. And I think that was really helpful in terms of making it possible because it is intimidating and it's very easy to talk yourself out of it. And especially when like, I mean, I don't know what your what your sort of financial background was like, but mine was, you know, I came from fairly a fairly low point of financial literacy. Like I kind of did, you know, you sort of do the basics in school and obviously I'd seen my, my parents run their own business, but, you know, I'd seen that kind of have ebbs and flows over time, but I didn't really understand anything other than it's good to have money in the bank. That was kind of it. It's like, oh, save more than you spend. Cool, but then what? Like, I mean, money doesn't really grow in the bank. I mean... Like I say, our interest rates are growing now, but for the last 10 years, they've been very, very low. And so you're never going to kind of get ahead. The market's kind of moving ahead without you. So and that's been a whole journey of discovery as well, is trying to understand money and also understand that money can work for you rather than just be a thing that exists in your world. <laughs> yeah, I mean, people have way too much of an intimate connection to money and it very much needs to be used as a tool, right? And yeah, that's it. That is a tool, exactly. And it's not just a like a, a status symbol, or it's not just like a safety net. It's it's a tool that can move forward. Yeah. Yeah, because if our bank account, how much money was in it, you know, along the way was like determined on our success, it was like, okay, we're doing great. And then we're doing bad, right? Because it was like, literally, like we just like you said, we got all this money, next real estate deal, boom. Okay, we got all this money, next real estate deal, (laughs) boom. And it was like, we just had a buffer, right? Like, so we're like, okay, so... We, you know, we need to have at least 20% of our properties set aside. So if after that down payment's done, right? Like, mm-hmm. because yeah. that's the scary thing, you know, if you think about it is if you buy a property and then a boiler goes out and so then you don't have, like, I mean, yeah. it's really important to be smart with that. And, you know, I'm no financial guru. I definitely had people that, you know, taught me a lot of things on, you know, how to make those moves, but you just have to be okay with that move and just see the long-term game, right? Because like you're talking about, yeah. the best time to buy real estate was 20 years ago. And so getting in yeah. now is so Everywhere. good. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 It's so good. So let's talk about business, right? You are self-employed. You are, you know, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know. I don't want to speak for you. You're, you're, I, I think content, but I know that's such a broad yeah, statement. Yeah. I mean, that's the easiest way to say it really. I am like, I guess a freelance journalist and editor. I do a bit of social media consulting, a little bit of web consulting, that kind of stuff as well. I kind of have a few different arms of my business, which I think when you're self-employed, especially in a service type capacity like me, you kind of need to have those multiple income streams because different things can happen 
at different times. So, um, yeah, I guess I, I, um, my main thing at the moment is probably freelance journalism. That's kind of what I spend most of my time doing. But I also do a lot of um, commercial content production. So, um, say, for example, like, um, you know, you might have a news website and part of its um, is sponsored content. So they might have sponsored articles. So um, I'll work on developing those. Um, I also do some blogging and things like that for different brands. So just content marketing um, as well. So basically words on a page. That's what I do. I, I um, I'm a words person and I probably write, I guess, somewhere in the vicinity of 10 to 20,000 words a week, something like that. So, um, yeah, that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of my domain. That's my specialty. The question is, is do you write as much as you did when you were working with me and I was selling blogs <laughs> like they were going out of style? <laughs> it's a really interesting one because I think when I, um, when we first started working together, it was kind of an interesting experience because I, I replaced one person. So there was a content manager who moved on to her next opportunity. I came on and joined the team kind of just in the exact role. And then in between sort of me starting and then you coming on board and then the whole sort of start of the beacon sales boom, <laughs> um, we kind of went from a one person show to then kind of like three people and then a contractor and then it just kind of kept going. And I think it wasn't like, cause I, there was one point there where I was like starting to go, this is a lot of words. Like this is, our output is huge. And that was before, I mean, all the growth that you've had since then. But um, I think one, one day I was talking to, so the CEO, who's Adrian, and I was like, we are writing a novel a month. Like we're writing a hundred thousand words a month. That's what we're, that's what we're doing. And so we need to bring kind of more hands on deck because that's a huge amount. And especially, I mean, some areas, some areas are easy. Like for example, like I've always found it really easy to write about you know, mental health, like I find it a really interesting topic. It's also one that I have some awareness of, I guess, is like, you know, we as, you know, general people, society, communities have become more aware of different mental health conditions, you know, depression, anxiety, things like that. Um, and also some of the mental health first aid, you know, like people people know that getting good sleep is important, you know, maybe laying off the alcohol is really helpful, you know, and moving your body every day, like eating well, all those sorts of things, having social connection. We know all that stuff already so when you're kind of producing content that you know about it's really easy I found it really difficult on the other hand to write about HVAC because I know nothing about HVAC and coming from Australia our HVAC is like I mean it was 100 degrees here the other day so our kind of situation is very different to oh hey your pipes might freeze and your whole house might kind of shut down and fall apart because it's you know I mean it's like negative 17 outside in Alaska and you know, I mean, so that was like a whole different thing. And also with like sort of the technical knowledge, there's, um, you know, diff comparing different systems and comparing kind of, I don't know, all like all that. I mean, that was a really steep learning curve and that's a lot harder, you know, in terms of you have to do a lot more research to be able to pull that kind of content together. So, um, but yeah, it was a lot of, it was a lot of words and I can only imagine what it's like now. I mean, I can imagine the team's expanded since then and, you know, selling lots more websites and lots more blogs and all kinds of other good things. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's still there. There's three of them in house, and then we have I don't even know how many people we contract. It's a lot, and then yeah. we yeah. are currently, and I'm really excited that we are adding in a web writer. So web will have its own content writer for. That's really good because it's a really different, like yep. it's a totally different skill. I mean, it's like still words on a page, but your whole mindset and strategy and the structure of what you're writing, and also the goal of what you want it to do, is very different. And so, like. I think if you're already in that mindset, it makes it a lot easier to roll the content out faster because you're kind of already in production mode. It's like, you know, I don't know, it's like having two production lines and one makes Chevy and one makes Dodge or whatever, and you kind of switch to more or less similar but not the same. And so it's kind of being able to stay on one track is probably more efficient than having to shut one down, boot up the other one, and then start, you know. It's, um, yeah, that's cool. Oh. <laughs> All that bit to be said, the big, I know I messaged you right away and, you know, I've done a couple podcasts on AI and I actually, I want to like just turn that over to you, but I'm going to ask you a couple like maybe theses that I've been kind of planning around this whole transition, you know, and, and on AI, you know, and the big one that I know I reached out to you specifically was, was chat GPT. And obviously it's better now than it was when I asked you about it two months ago because it's constantly learning. Um, it's nuts, isn't it? Yeah. It, it, it really is. But you being a person that's in content space, you know, I think that there's certain realms where like AI isn't threatening it near as much as others. Like an HVAC worker, which is scary enough. Mm -hmm. I actually talked to a heat 
an HVAC owner who AI is actually helping his business get more effective, which is kind of crazy. Um, really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, he actually, so there, there's an AI system that this HVAC company is using where it can use screen share. So it's like, it's actually like on a, like a screen in screen share and it listens to the HVAC machine. It sees the colors, it sees the board and it can diagnose the problem right there on the spot without a tech in the facility. There's a person on the phone wow. and you're talking to the homeowner and they just yeah. pull up their phone. They go FaceTime, they pull up the screen and it's like, Oh, it's this part. It's on your way. Yeah, which is awesome. And also just for like quoting jobs in terms of like major repairs versus minor repairs, like what you're kind of looking at, what kind of business and making time. Is it something that has to happen today? Is it something that can wait until tomorrow or later the, later in the week? That's really interesting. And I could see it being a huge, like a game changer in that kind of application. And it's even crazy, you know, because I don't know how it is. You know, obviously, I know like, yes, our inflation's like crazy here. It, rates are going up. Those yeah. things, you know, follow the same thing here. But something else that's actually really insane is is the amount of quality jobs that we find available yet no work available. I mean, he's talking it's been about similar here. Yeah. yeah, recruitment's been really hard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he starting out this HVAC tech is six figure job, like you know, one hundred and ten, hundred twenty thousand dollars. He's got five positions he'd fill tomorrow if he could, and he can't find yeah. anyone to work it right. So that's why he's. Why can't he find them? Like, have you got a theory about that? Like, why it's so difficult? We talked to him about it for a little bit. I mean, it was a handful of things, getting people to show up for the whole process, the whole interview process. It was a commitment, so people are falling out. Uh, you know, the 30-day training course, the the rigorous, you know, requirements to do that, which I don't know. Like, if I'm an employer and I'm going to pay you six figures starting out, you better believe I'm going to be putting a lot of training and developing on the front end to make oh, sure that yeah. that's an investment worth having as a business owner, you know? Um, and so he's doubling down, right? And, like, unfortunately, you know, to the, to the people, right? Like, AI is actually going to probably create a thing where he can create more work, but a tech is not going to get paid the same thing as an engineer or, you know, as a service person going and working on the HVAC, but he's going to be able to service twice the amount of houses for less, which I think is probably the thing that I get most excited about AI, right? Is can we create products that are performing more work in less time? And if there's really ethical business owners, can we charge less and actually make a bigger impact? It's like, that's definitely something that ties over to content world as well. Like exactly. I mean, if, you know, say, say for example, I'm writing a 2000 word blog about HVAC, right? So it probably, I probably would allocate four hours to it. It probably wouldn't take me to that length of time, but I would need to spend quite a little, quite a lot of time on Google and YouTube. <laughs> so watching videos obviously takes time because I'm like, what is this system? Why do you need it? What does it do? you know, are there competitors? What are they doing? Do I like, what are the differences? Um, you know, how do you troubleshoot? You know, often um, say in an SEO blogging capacity, it might be like, what do I do if X happens to my HVAC system? And so then I've got to find what happens, you know, if it shuts down, if the pilot light goes out, if it starts smoking, if it's unblocked and it's making funny noises, like I've got to find all that out myself. Whereas with like chat GPT, for example, you can add a plugin that just connects to web and then it can, you know, you can select if you want it to include like the top three or the top 10 or the top 20 answers in Google. And it will just kind of amalgamate all that information and then spit it out into a 2000 word blog for you. And it will do it in 60 seconds. <laughs> um, and it's been a really interesting one because if, say, for example, a client's an HVAC company is paying me to write a blog and I build them for four hours of time, say I charge I'll just pick a number, say, say 50 bucks an hour, right? Um, and so, you know, that's 200 bucks. But I've just done it in one minute. So can I still charge 200 bucks even though it's taken? But, I mean, obviously everything comes with a catch. There's always an asterisk. There's always, you know, the, you've got to read the fine print, um, you know, which is, I mean, there's still a lot of value for humans in the space, and I guess we can get into that. But it's a really interesting one from a business perspective because on one hand, it doesn't take the same time that I said it would. But on the other hand, I'm working smarter. So should I be penalized for using the tools at my disposal to do a good job efficiently? I don't know. It's tricky. I think the thing like, for, you know, in that particular circumstance, probably what I'm going to end up doing is changing my pricing model so that it'll, it'll be more of a flat rate rather than, you know, a time rendered kind of arrangement. So rather than, you know, 
50 bucks right. an hour. Um, it might just be a $200 flat rate. And then it takes the time it takes. And that's up to me to manage, but it doesn't have anything to do with the client. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting one. So where are you on the scale of AI? Like, is it like, you know, it, some people, their theory when the internet came out, right? Like it was a fad and it's going to fall off. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, there's the people that say it's Skynet Terminator style where like it's going to, they're going to take over. <laughs> you know, where are you on the scale of AI when it comes to uh, where it's going, what it's doing and how it's going to affect mm-hmm. us, you know, in the future? Yeah. I mean, look, change is scary. Like, people have always been reticent to change. I mean, there was, like, a whole phenomenon in, like, industrial England, this guy called Ludd who went and sm- went around smashing machines because he was, like, the machines are evil, you know, the whole factories are evil, and he had a whole following, like, Luddites. It's, like, a thing. You can Google it. I mean, there's always going to be people who are resistant to change, and I understand that, like, you know, particularly in this economy, people are really protective of their jobs and their incomes. Like, people... Um, really want to make sure that they're going to be able to keep a roof over their head, that they're going to be able to feed their family. And anything that kind of puts even a whiff of, is my job at risk in the air, people are going to be, you know, people are going to have their reservations. Um, I think with this and with technology, I mean, we saw computers, you know, personal computers come on. We saw smartphones come on. We saw Google, you know, we've seen all these tech giants come on. And now we can't imagine life without it. I mean, if you had to go back to life in the 90s, I mean, you just couldn't even imagine it. Like even banking, you know, like I remember like my first overseas trip, you know, having to get traveler's checks. And I mean, I'm a millennial, like this wasn't that long ago. Um, whereas now, I mean, I just take my phone and I can just transfer foreign currencies from my phone when I get there. It's easy, whatever, you know, it's like, you couldn't even, you couldn't imagine doing it. Or like my first road trip in the US was in 2013 and it was before I had a smartphone. And I had a laptop at the time, but what I was doing, I drove around, so I started in LA and I drove through California, Arizona and Nevada and I did a big kind of loop and then back down from San Francisco back down to LA. And I was driving into McDonald's parking lot and sitting there because I could get Wi-Fi and on my laptop sitting in the car Googling directions and then I'd have them up on my laptop screen as I'm driving down the highway, whatever. You know, well, I mean, you could just like you wouldn't do that now. I mean, I was like writing out the directions on a post-it note and sticking them in the middle of the steering wheel so I could be like, oh, I need to turn off on the eye, whatever. Or, you know, like you just wouldn't, you couldn't imagine doing that now. I mean, and so I think, you know, it's fairly safe to say that technology is here to stay. And I mean, the other thing with AI is that, it's been evolving for some years now. I mean, it's got lots of applications beyond what we know about it now. I mean, you know, lots of companies have been using algorithms. Everyone talks about, you know, like the Google algorithm or the Facebook algorithm. I mean, it's just really another variation on a theme in terms of, you know, a machine learning kind of approach. I mean, it's been used in tech, it's been used in space, it's used in aviation, it's used in medicine, it's used everywhere. I mean, legal research, like it's, it's kind of something that's, endemic. So I think we, you know, I think it's fairly safe to say that it's going to continue. Yeah. I mean, the military's probably been using AI for as long as they could, oh, right? Man. I mean, eighties, oh, we go back, yeah. you know, eighties yeah. maybe or nineties, you know, depending on where they were at. I agree with you. And I, 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 there's nothing I can disagree with there. I guess you told me something and I, you probably said it in, you know, just in, you know, in chat, but then I have totally repeated that. You have no idea how many times because it was so good. It was so good, you know, because I reached out you to you right away because you're a writer, right? And this, a lot of the AI that you're seeing coming out right now, and there's some video and there, I mean, there's a, there's a lot, but like, there's a lot around writing and I know you write a lot. Ostensibly, it directly threatens my job, right? Like, right. I mean, this means that anyone can write a 2000 word blog about HVAC. Like if we continue that same example, Anyone can do that now. I mean, you type in chat GPT, you set up, you register your email, and then there it is. You only need like one sentence prompt and away it goes. I mean, it's kind of a funny one because, yeah, there's certainly been in my professional circles, um, you know, in all different fields, like that's in, you know, news journalism, that's in content marketing, that's in websites, you know, that's in all kinds of different applications. It's certainly something that's come up over and over again because are we going to have jobs? I mean, you know, there's kind of been the the dot-com boom and then the kind of Google boom kind of saw all of a sudden this huge demand for content because everyone needed websites, everyone needed content for their websites. And then when search engine optimization became a thing, everyone needed fresh content all the time. It wasn't just enough to have one website that just existed on the internet. 
you kind of needed to be updating it all the time. And then you needed to make sure it ranked for keywords all the time. And then you needed to make sure that you showed that you're, you were an expert, you know, and people were clicking on, you know, that people were finding the information they needed from your website and you were helping them solve problems and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of in this huge rise um, and really sort of unprecedented in terms of, I mean, perhaps the only time we saw demand like this was when someone invented the printing press and all of a sudden people could write books, you know, and that kind of transformed the industry. Um, but yeah, so it's been a really interesting, interesting one in terms of lots of conversations. And probably the thing that I've found is at the moment, it's all business as usual. It's very early days. It'll be interesting to see how it evolves. Um, but at this point, what we're sort of seeing, I mean, I've obviously experimented with, I think everyone's kind of experimented with it um, in my, you know, in a kind of everyone who writes for a living is certainly got to do their due diligence and figure out what this thing is and how you're going to stay ahead of it. Um, what I've found is that um, it's really good at pulling information together. It's really good at identifying keywords. It kind of acts in predictable ways like we would expect. It's kind of, you know, similar to Google, like you can become good at Googling. Like you can you can be bad at Googling. You can type in random things and have no luck and really struggle to find what you want. Or you can have a really strategic approach to Googling, know exactly what keywords you need and all of a sudden get fantastic results. And it's kind of like that. It's, um, it pulls information together really effectively, but it's not necessarily in a final form that you want. So what I'm finding at the moment is say for a blog, for example, it needs a rewrite for tone of voice. It needs to match a brand's look and feel and style. It might need to be restructured. It can still be optimized further for SEO and that kind of thing. So there is still a human element to it. Um, but ultimately, the biggest human element is that you have to know what to put in the thing in the first place because anyone can go, I want an HVAC blog, but then you're going to get the same content every single time, whereas you might need 20 HVAC blogs and you might need to identify, you need to know who your audience is. You need to know what keywords you need, you need to know what angles and what questions people are asking and you need to be able to frame it in a structure that people will understand, you know, with bullet points and things like that. So there still is a really cerebral element to it in the sense that you still need to kind of read it critically and think about what you're going to do and how you're going to present it rather than just copy-paste, we're good to go. There's, um, yeah, there's still a lot of value that humans can add from a critical thinking perspective. Sorry, I realise that's a really long-winded no. way of answering something I've been thinking about a lot lately. You're lucky I got a good memory because I, 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 I have a couple things that I want to go back to. But I guess <laughs> the first thing that, you know, when you're saying all that, like the refinement, I think it's really important to know that like when they're using it, and I encourage everyone to go play around with it. They need to because it's not going anywhere. You need to start to understand it. And I would almost be telling people like, whatever you would Google, go to chat GPT and put the same yeah, thing in chat GPT exactly. and see what comes exactly. out because there yeah. is like, it's not Google, but you'd be surprised. Like you're saying is it, it's going to give you, it's going to give you things that you're going to think of. And it's actually going to, yeah. it almost like, in my opinion, just like the phone, like Steve Jobs said, the phone was a bicycle for the mind, right? Have you ever heard that yeah. about this? I see yeah. that being a, a new bicycle because when you start yeah. asking it questions, it's giving you information that Google would never give you and it's making you be better, right? And then as you put more information yeah. in, it's learning from you and then the information yeah. is getting better. And so yeah. a phrase that I heard, and I'd be curious on what your thoughts are, is that, you know, I don't believe AI is going to replace content writers, like completely, because what I do believe, though, is a content writer that uses AI will replace content writers that don't use AI. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, I mean, I'm using blogging as an example. Obviously, there are a multitude of other applications, but it, it does the grunt work for you. It's like having a really good intern who's like, you might be the person who does the quality control and the strategy and all that kind of high level thinking, but you might need an intern who's like, tell me the 50 best things to do in Scandinavia, off you go. <laughs> and that in turn is going to be diligently reading through all the articles and putting all the links together and, you know, compiling all that information for you to then process and use in the way that, you know, using the way that you need to. Um, but it's kind of like having, I mean, in terms of making you more efficient, um, it's like having someone to do the grunt work, um, but at a moment's notice, you know, and that's kind of, um, that's really cool. I mean, I find it so valuable for social media. If you're a content creator, or you're trying to be an influencer, or you're trying to provide more content to an audience yeah. base. I yeah. mean, anyone should go on there and be like, hey, create 
three posts per week for these five platforms. And I want it to be posts about this, 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 and this. And then if you need information, please prompt me by asking these questions and hit enter. Right. And then it's like, it'll ask you questions. It'll give you some, you're like, that looks good. Now create that for 12 months. And then you now, you have literally all the content you want for three posts a week for 12 months. All you got to do is copy and paste. And like you said, change some tone, make some changes and you're done. Right. Like, and I don't like, there's a lot of people that could say like, that's a bad thing. It's not, but like, it's still your voice based on what you're prompting it. Right. Which then. Yeah. And obviously you can fine tune it as well. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting one because, um, something that often I say to other friends who are writers is it's easier to create something from something rather than something from nothing. Right. So there's nothing scarier than a blank page. And often, and I think that's something that non-writers really struggle with a lot is you kind of, you've opened your word document or your Google document or whatever, and you've got that cursor kind of blinking at you and you're like, how do I even start? Right. And even experienced writers will say the, the, the headline, you know, the, the headline of an article, the heading of a blog, the lead sentence, that is the hardest part to write. And once you get that, generally you can kind of kick your brain into motion and away you go. But for people who aren't writers who don't have kind of the, I guess the experience and the, the discipline and the strategy to kind of get words on a page, it's really intimidating. And I think that's kind of an amazing thing that it's done for small business, you know, for people who words might not necessarily be their thing, but if they learn how to use chat GPT in an effective way, you could even like what I was doing with it yesterday. Um, I had an article go up that was mount- about mountain biking. Right. So I put in, I dropped in the link and I was like, write 10, um, 10 tweets based on this article. And so it scans the article and then it spits them out, you know, one, two, three, four, and it puts hashtags in and everything. And I think that that, because in today's environment, you really do have to have, I mean, to have a successful business, and particularly if you're trying to grow, you have to have a really strong online presence. So it kind of opens up that whole digital marketing world to people who might not love words, you know, like you might be that HVAC technician or company owner, you might be really good at technical skills, at problem solving, at business, you might be a great people person, um, and you might hate writing, and that's fine. But if you learn to use this effectively, it kind of puts all that at your disposal as well. And that can be a really good way for you to kind of grow your own company. It kind of, um, it takes the grunt work out of it, which I think is going to really benefit a lot of people. Yeah. You know, you said that, and I literally was doing some monologue blogs, not monologue blogs. I think we've talked a lot about blogs. So I put that in there. (laughs) Monologue podcast. It's just a topical example. No. And the thing that I talked about was, and you just said it right here is like business owners. I mean, I am in a unique position where I'm talking to multiple business owners every single day. They have great products. They have great people. They have a great story, but they don't, no one knows about them. And the always the simple answer is they need to put more content on the internet. Like you talked about blogs, websites, social media, all of it. it. And I think it really resonates with me. This like people have to understand the most important thing is to be known more than to have the best product. Right. And I, I use like Starbucks as the example. Starbucks is not the best (laughs) cup of coffee. You could go find this little hole in the wall niche place and it has probably such a better cup of coffee, but Starbucks is the most known. So it gets the most attention. And so that is the, I mean, if anything, people need to be really excited about this because they're going to be able to put so much more content out in a way Mm -hmm. to become more known because, I mean, who are we talking to here? ChatGPT is not talking to people. It's talking to a machine, which as you said, all (laughs) those systems are using machines. Well, so that's kind of a really interesting thing. And that's probably something that a lot of people might not know if they're kind of new to the content marketing world. Um, But one of the reasons that you need to have all this content all the time is because Google's algorithms, Google's robots, Google's machines, Google's AI is constantly scanning the internet, looking for the things that most address the questions that people are asking, you know, the best information available. And so in that sense, you're kind of talking directly to AI, like I guess a great example, and I just blogs are top of mind, but um, so say for example, some of the blogs, say the four hour blog um, page back, you know, I can see all the analytics on the other end and it might've only got 30 clicks in its lifetime, which sort of is not a great, if you're looking at it from a return on investment perspective, I mean, you've just paid someone, and if I continue with 50 bucks an hour, you've just paid someone 200 bucks. 
so that 30 people can click in and maybe they're looking for what they need, maybe they, they haven't. And so the, 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 transactionally it doesn't make sense, but the value of it really is that it's being read by Google all the time. Google kind of puts it in the cache, Google knows that it exists, Google scans it, and then it sees that you've got 300 other blogs about HVAC and it goes, oh, these guys really know what they're talking about. It's got all their keywords, it's got the good length, it's got quoted experts like proper sourcing, it's got you know, a really good structure and style. It's got, um, you know, really scannable headings. It's got bullet points. It's got all that kind of stuff. And so Google's AI goes, check, this is a great source. I'm going to rank it to the top. And that's kind of how it works. So in that sense, you're kind of using ChatGPT as AI to speak to Google's AI to kind of make your business, right. you know, to elevate your, your business in the rankings. And that's kind of the beauty of it because it, if you look at it on a human level, you only got 30 humans to click in, right? So... It's kind of um, what it sort of does, and again, to use the grunt work, it kind of takes care of all the grunt work and it frees up your human minds to work on higher level tasks like strategy, like identifying keywords, like fine-tuning your audience, like developing your brand of voice in, in a way, in your brand voice in a way that will resonate with your target market. It kind of frees up. It's kind of, yeah, that two-level, two-tiered approach um, that kind of is beautiful in that yeah. sense that, you know, it kind of frees up humans to do the human thing and it uses robots to do the robot thing. Um, so that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I agree. a thousand percent agree. And I know you can't agree <laughs> something with a thousand. I a hundred percent agree. It is, that is so on point. And again, where I just, am going to say it over and over again? I encourage, because I think a lot of that times people are afraid of new things, you know, like you said, the yeah. change is hard. And all yeah. they need to do is just go to OpenAI, click chat, yeah. create their account and mess with yeah. it yeah. and just start asking questions about you. We talk about social media. I mean, it'd be yeah. funny to like write, you know, a 3000 page, you know, essay about me. Right. And it's like, well, I don't know about you. Okay. Well, ask me yeah. questions about me. What do you need to know? Just to, like even having those things just to get, you know, familiar with it. Yeah. But yeah. You said as it like, okay, so machines talking to machines. And so like that sets me up for another question I want to ask. And I've been thinking on this and I have a, I have a thought, but I want to know what your thought is, is, okay, so now we have available this AI, but as we've talked, the military, Google, they, they've been using this stuff for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. So this is available to us, but like at what, mm-hmm. what percent is still being used? Like, Right. So it's Google, oh, right? It has to be a fraction. Right. I mean, and like we're asking it questions for social media. I mean, this is like a fraction of 1% of its capability. I mean, considering that we know people are using it to like diagnose HVAC problems over the phone. I mean, you know, obviously, it's sort of, I mean, the sky's the limit. And the thing is, it's evolving all the time. Like even since it rolled out like what, eight weeks ago or whatever, it's already improved, you know. And like the fact that when you kind of first log in, it just scans historic Google data. Whereas when you add like the new plugin, it's scanning contemporary Google data, like whatever's the latest that's on today, you know, like that's, that's a positive evolution. I mean, it's going to, it's going to keep going. And I mean, there'll be countless applications, I'm sure. I mean, everything from, you know, you can imagine like farmers, like taking photos of their crop and being like, what disease is this? You know, whatever, you know, like what parasite is this? They'll be able to diagnose that straight away and then recommend a fix or I don't know. It's going to be, it's going to be really interesting. I mean, we're talking about just chat GPT, but then, I mean, I've, I've been playing with a lot, you know, as it matters greatly in my business, because our business also could be incredibly affected by this. When you start looking at some of the video and voice, there's this one, it's called 111. And this 111 was not used on the creation of this video or this, this soundbite, but you can read a couple sentences into this one called 111. And then you can type whatever script you want and it will give you your voice back to whatever you type. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's amazing. It's so weird, but it's amazing. <laughs> I, I mean, mean, I think it's going to be interesting though, because I mean, at this point I can't see it. Like, so everyone who's trying to become an influencer, trying to get their name out of it, right? The dream is like a viral post, right? Like you want something to go bananas, like get 3 million views and get your name out there and have all this drive, all this traffic to your website so that your phone starts ringing and everyone wants to do business with you. I think for that, you're still going to need a genuine human. Like you're going to, it needs to be 
funny or it needs to be emotional or it needs to be surprising or it needs to capture your interest in a way that makes you want to share it with your friends and go, oh, my God, you have to watch this or you have to listen to this. Right. or you know, And that, I think, is still an innately human thing. Like, you need that connection. So I don't think this, at this point anyway, is capable of generating viral content in the sense that it's very generic and it learns from patterns. So it's going to repeat patterns that it's seen before to kind of produce more of the same or similar or slightly evolved, but still within the same kind of realm content. But from a you know marketing perspective, I think that's kind of beautiful because there's going to be space for both. Like it's like you'll have the side that talks to robots. You'll have the side that gets your name out there that kind of keeps you consistently in the public eye, connecting with your customers. That's going to be great. Um, but I think there's still going to be space for that creativity, um, which, you know, is exciting because that means the challenge is on because now you're competing to make it really stand out. Like, you, and but it frees up your time to do that. Well, that's exactly it, right? Like how, I mean, the viral videos, like, don't get me wrong. You can just post, you can take two seconds and post a video and it can go viral. But I would say the people that are intentionally going viral all the time have found ways and they are very creative. They're finding very unique ways to have a good hook or have something that's really edited really well that just is so intriguing where people keep watching and you need the creativity. You need the mind space to be able to do that. And AI is going to be able to help replace it. I'll say like the reason why I bring up the voice one, and this is to all business owners that use video in any sort of way to train and to develop, but I'm planning it out because our team is growing. I'm so grateful that we're hitting 30 employees but you have a lot of training and developing and a continued education yeah. throughout the team. So when you're creating, you know, internal training for a business, how great mm-hmm. is it to yeah. type in scripts and hit enter? Because I just recorded currently for our new onboarding system for our clients, 28 videos through. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> I recorded 28 videos for every step of the way, explaining every step, yeah. bringing it down. It's going to be a great process. But yeah. if I would have taken a couple hours and played with 111, I could have probably created those 28 videos in an hour, mm. not two weeks. Mm, that's a lot. That's a lot of work. <laughs> it is because, I mean, you got to get it. How many hours it. worth is it? Like for the 28 videos, like how many hours is it all up? I don't know. I, I, I mean, all the, all, I mean, each video ranges in the length of three minutes to five minutes. So, I mean, say mm-hmm. four minutes times 28. I mean, we're yeah. talking, you know, two hours of just video recording. Mm-hmm. That's not writing yeah. scripts down. That's not doing anything no, else. And that's the thing, like, that's kind of deceptive about video, isn't it? Like everyone sees the final product and goes, oh yeah, that's cool. Not realizing that it's taken weeks of pre-production and post-production because generally there's like all the development and then you know, shooting all that kind of stuff and then editing at the other end. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a very um, involved process. Right. And so like the two that I think of is 111 and Descript is the video one, which that one's even crazier. Like, I mean, I did, you can take a script, you can put it, it brings a whole bunch of stock footage. You can drop whatever couple videos you want into it and you can create like really great videos for free, very yeah. simply. And so, very quickly. yeah, yeah. It, it's it's just very very interesting. What I was asking earlier, and I agree, like we've only scratched the surface. But I'm guessing, like, how much are do we not even have access to? I guess is my thought. Like when Google, you know, Facebook, like I would say that yeah. everything that we're playing with right now is just the the little bits, like the scraps. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I that feel there's like this is like an ice cube in a glass of water on the Titanic. Like we haven't even we haven't even seen the iceberg yet. Like, right. <laughs> you know, like there's not that we're going to sink. That's a bad analogy. But like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I feel like in terms of like it's not just the tip of the iceberg. We're not even at the iceberg. I think like it's um yeah, I think it's still a long way to go. And I mean, it's going to keep evolving. We like I say, we've seen, a, you know, huge growth in eight weeks. So who yeah. knows? Well, I can't tell you how excited I am to hear someone that I know that has probably a, a, a bigger impact in their profession than anyone, right? Especially because there's so much around the written context as it is right now. And here as motivated and as ramped up as you are about it, it gets me really excited because I just think that I hope that as it rolls out and it grows that everyone involved, you know, feels that way. You know, I think of like, yeah teachers and educators like I know that in the last podcast we talked about education and teaching and stuff and I'm like man this could be a huge upgrade for them you know and what Mm. they can do I know it's a huge Mm. like I know like 
I only bring that up because I know some teachers and they're shaking in their boots when they're talking about it. Like one of them was like so overcalculated. They're like, we're going to go to written papers only. Not to say someone couldn't use chat GPT and then write it out, right? But yeah, I'm like, yeah. that's that's the wrong approach here. I'm just going to be honest, like to to yeah. go back. That's no, like, I mean, that is going to be a tricky one. And there will certainly be a lot of applications like that where you're going to be like, or like, or another one would be like, people diagnosing themselves with like, you know, like classic WebMD, like who hasn't fallen down a WebMD rabbit hole and been like, oh, I have like six types of cancer and I'm going to die tomorrow. So nice knowing you're all like, you know, like there's going to have to be some level of management and maybe that will come with population maturity. Like as we become more familiar with these types of products, you know, as we become AI natives in the way that, you know, the current generation are going to be digital natives, like they'll grow up knowing what's normal, hopefully, and what's not, you know, we'll, we'll kind of evolve with it, I think, as our experience, you know, kind of continues. So it's, but yeah, it's going to be interesting. Applications like that, like cheating on exams and things like that. Because it's interesting, though, with education, because it's such a shift. Like, when I went through school, so much of it was about rote learning, you know, and I mean, I remember doing like, you know, a science exam in year 12, so like senior year in high school. Um, and the whole thing was, um multiple choice was half of it and then there was like a short answer section and again they're mostly looking for keywords and then there was like a longer you know writing section at the end and that kind of rote learning I mean yeah it's cool in the sense that like it's kind of easy like you learn the answers you color in the box away you go but I think that in the future our education is going to have to focus much more on critical thinking rather than rote learning because anyone now like I can pick up my phone and google what's the capital of Kazakhstan? Like I can, I don't need to learn that in the sense that I don't need to have it filed in an archive in the compactness of my brain. I can, you know, it's not a valuable thing to spend my time doing is trying to rote learn as long as you understand the foundations of concepts, I think, and then can think critically and apply knowledge. I agree. Like you said, focus on critical thinking. I've said that that exact, like I use presidents, like as the example, like what's the ninth president, right? Like it, it, I can Google that. Like there's, yeah, I can't tell yeah. you right now either, but I can promise you there was probably a time when you had to like, remember the first uh, at the time, yeah. maybe 30 presidents, yeah. right? I, mean, I still think some things are important, like knowing the structure of government, for example, and knowing how laws are made, you know, stuff like that is good to know. But in terms of the, the specific detail, I don't know if that's as valuable anymore. And I think the other thing is so critical thinking would be one side, but I think um, social skills are going to be the other one because you like it's going to be more important than ever to connect well with other humans you know with so much going on in the technological background I think it sort of shows that that you know emotional maturity resilience connectedness relational skills you know I think that's going to become much more important as well so it's going to be interesting to see how that kind of evolves in education yeah it will be because I mean as we look at our current times we're continuously getting less connected and less engaged you know, like mm. it's amazing when you're in person and you meet with the person and they they have great eye contact and they have great active mm. listening. You know, they're shaking their head. They're smiling. You just see it yeah. less. Right. Yeah. And I'm curious on how, you know, I, I, I think I think kids will be all right, to be honest. Like if I'm just going to yeah. like speak I mean, ahead, I think all of our generations have turned out. Right. I mean, I like right. to think so anyway. I mean, I'm sure all of our parents had their reservations about sure. kids these days and, you know, <laughs> but I get worried for my parents. Right. You know, and the, like how fast things are going to go. Like we think things it's move fast so now. Fast. Think about how fast they're so going to be fast. in 10 years. I'm in my early thirties and I feel like that, like, I feel like I should be at like the peak of being on top of all of this. And I still worry a little bit about getting left behind, you know, even now, I mean, like I don't have a TikTok account or whatever. Like, you know, I sort of worry that you kind of like one step behind and sort of trying to keep up. And I think for our parents too, I mean, like, this has been the fastest period of evolution that we've seen in human history. So like, you know, from like my dad was born in the late fifties and from them to now, I mean, the world is almost unrecognizable really. I mean, it's kind of, yeah, it's going to be an interesting one, I think to manage. I was listening, you know, you said that, and uh, this is going so far off AI, but I think we've talked about it plenty that we don't have to spend any time there anymore unless you think of something, but uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, whatever you may think of him, he actually had, in my opinion, a really profound thing he was talking about. Because right now he's currently trying to 
make some predictions for our future, right? You know, he is a part of, you know, some of the, you know, minds of our current generation of like thinkers, you know, very transformative in the way he looks at things. And he had a really interesting take on predictions. And so a Mm. lot of people in the day, Ben Franklin, the Rockefellers, they had predictions for 30 years from now. And he had, and I haven't, I haven't fact checked this, but I do believe him probably when he said it, he said at every great thinker of the time, Einstein, when they predicted 30 years in advance versus mm-hmm. what really happened, they were grossly underestimated of what actually happened every single time. Mm-hmm. And so he's taking... That's probably true. Right. Well, because you said your dad that's like 50 years. The though, is that life surprises you. I mean, and you never know. And just because you're in a bubble of people who think that way doesn't mean that the thinkers of OpenAI aren't creating chat GPT somewhere else. I mean, it's you can sort of never know. And that's kind of... I guess the excitement and that's why business is exciting. I mean, it's the unpredictability. I mean, you kind of bank on the future. You hope that if you've got this strategy in place and you're making these decisions now that it's going to pay off and you kind of focused on that, like future return on investment, that's what keeps it exciting. If you knew it was guaranteed, you'd be like, eh, you know, it's kind of boring. Maybe I'll, I mean, I'll leave that tick along because I wouldn't want to waste it, but I'm going to spend my time worrying about this problem or that problem or something completely different. I mean, I feel like humans kind of need that element of, unpredictability and variety and change to kind of thrive. I mean, it's what keeps us moving and I think it's probably a good thing. It's inevitable. I mean, it sort of has to be a good thing. Yeah, no, I totally agree. It's, it's when you're in it, it's never easy, but then when you're able to look back at it, you know, it's, it's always like, Oh, because of that, we're now here and man, I'm glad we're here. You know, I mean, the smartphone's a great example, you know, like that was such a weird time, you know, when it came out and it, people just didn't know what to do with it, you know, but now looking at what it does, the capabilities, I think about yeah. like, I mean, the, the, these are just random thoughts. So, I mean, cut me off whenever you're ready, but like, <laughs> that's all right. Here we are. I'm poised and ready. So I've just finished my cup of tea though. Sorry. There you go. I just think about how cool is it? You know, I think about Jordan a lot, you know, in the, in the next generation, yeah. how cool is it that she's going to have so many videos and photos and memories uh, all available to us because of the iPhone, right? Mm. Like, think about it. Like, if you could see just like a thousand different photos and videos and memories from times with your parents growing up, would you totally like take mm. a half an hour, an hour, and just sit in and just watch them? Longer than that, yeah. yeah I, mean, I mean, it's sort of amazing. It probably will make... It'll be interesting to see how it affects human memory as well, because, you know, sometimes you sort of have your recollection, but it might not be exactly, you know, I mean, we know that memories are famously unreliable and they can be clouded by emotion or affected by what you think happened or what you think should have happened or whatever. But it's kind of been in terms of certainly with the cherished moments, like um, absolutely. I mean, that's, I think it's going to be a really beautiful thing. I mean, there's pros and cons to that. Obviously, this generation is also going to be the most surveilled generation in history. But I think it's going to be a process of learning to evolve, you know, and and for parents to manage that. And parents probably are going to serve a role that they've never served before. I mean, parents have always tried to protect their kids. Um, This is going to be more of like an always-on kind of approach to that. And I think, you know, the education side is going to be interesting. But as you say, there's also going to be something really beautiful to that in the sense that all those happy little moments, like... I mean, I saw a video that you posted of her walking, you know, into your arms, like just this week. And I was like, that is such a beautiful moment. I watched it, I think, twice, maybe three times. It was just so beautiful. And I was like, that kind of thing is precious. And that's something that's only really important to you and to her and to Chelsea. Um, But what a thing to have. I mean, that's, you know, yeah, that is a really special thing. I mean... I can't even talk about, I mean, I get to do it every day. It's like once work's done and she hasn't seen me in like probably five or six hours, which I'm so privileged to be able to even say that that's the longest I go without seeing her on a given day. Right. And I get to sit down on the floor and she just runs and hits me right. Like every single day. And it is the best. I am so lucky, but it looks pretty cool. (laughs) But to be able to like, I just, I think about it. Like, I mean, to see, I mean, even my like photo albums and stuff like that. I mean, in mm-hmm. one, you know, 20 minute time, I'm going to see every photo from the day I ex- like was born. Yeah. Same. Yeah, totally. To, also, I'm the eldest child. So I have a lot more photos than my brothers do. Right. Cause I was, I came first. So mom and dad were like, 
very conscientious about taking photos. But yeah, for my younger brothers, it was kind of the whole place was chaos all the time. So exactly. So I mean, yeah, I'm the same. There's like one photo album and it's everything right where, I mean, we could pull up some sort of, you know, maybe AI or something in a like pool, all the videos together that exist of you on the cloud or whatever it is. And then you literally watch days of video and memories and those types of things. And I mean, there's, there's a trade to everything, right? There's good, there's bad. Like you're talking about the tracking and stuff. I just tend to focus on the exciting things, the opportunity things. And so that was just the thought that recently hit me that got me really excited. Yeah. 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 I guess I can definitely see that for sure. So, well, I can't tell you how much this has been like riveting for me. And this isn't even in a space that like, I, I mean, I spend some time, but like, it's just, it's been something that I've wanted to share more and more because I think that there's a lot of stuff on the internet about it, but I think that there's some really good things that most people should be taking away. And the fact that you're in an industry where it directly impacts immediately. And so am I theoretically take my job yes right but yeah Yeah. I mean yes but no because it sounds like you're already playing around with it enough to know that I mean again if you're going to charge $200 flat and it takes you a couple minutes to do it it's just all about you acquiring more customers, right? And then yeah. you're going to... Well, that's the other thing. It's growth, yeah, yeah. And the other thing is, like, obviously, you bring into it, you don't want to sell yourself short, but you bring into it all of your skill, all of your experience, all of your knowledge of their product and their goals, all of your, like, strategic abilities and your ability to, like, tailor it. I mean, because whatever I get from ChatGPT, it's got words on the page. I can create something from something. It's much easier to edit than it is to write from scratch. And, you know, so it just kind of, like increases the, I guess, the value of what I can offer. Um, I will which say, is, which is yeah, it is. And I will say another theory that I've been playing around with that I think is really important to consider with AI is that, okay, so something that is being talked about, but I just don't know if it's being talked about as much as it probably should is like, we're about to go through, I mean, good labor is hard to come by right now, but think about in the next five to 10 years, all the baby boomers are going to be retiring, which is the Mm -hmm. largest generation that we've had. We have not seen a generation that big since, right? And I mean, I can't remember what the total workforce that won't be replaced by that, by the next generation, you know, or the, you know, Mm -hmm. the current generation. And so I'm just curious on like, how much is AI going to play a role into that transition? I would expect a pretty big deal because I mean, it's not like you're going to be able to, like all those jobs are just going to be able to go away right? Like we need that. It's also going to evolve. Like, I mean, you know, a lot of, a lot of the baby boomers had, you know, like blue collar jobs. Like that was, you know, like college education wasn't as readily available as it is now. There certainly wasn't as much bureaucracy as there is now. There wasn't as much record keeping and documentation as there is now. And so, I mean, we've obviously seen a huge grow in like those kind of white collar kind of office based jobs. And that's going to be interesting as well, because, you know, with blue collars, you know, they, they've like blue collar workers have already had kind of their interaction with automation in the sense that we've seen factory floors automated and we've seen, you know, all kinds of other things. So I think, I mean, it's just going to be an evolution, isn't it? I mean, people will find a way to find jobs. Um, there'll be some new service, like, you know, the whole, like, Be- like all of Beacon's content, you know, marketing, I mean, didn't exist 20 years ago because no one was on the internet. So, I mean, people will find a way to add value and people will find a service that is required and people will find something that is going to be important and useful, um, you know, and valuable to others. So I think that we might not know what that is, but then we also didn't know that the dot-com boom was going to happen. So, you know, I think that it's just going to be a natural evolution, really. Yeah. Well, I am grateful for you and your friendship. I enjoy our conversations so much. Oh, likewise. I mean, it's good. I feel like I have so much like more to say, but also I feel like we've covered all the highlights for now and people should just like open chat GPT and start playing around with it. It's just a really interesting thing to spend half an hour doing and just acquaint yourself with it and see what it can start to do. And I mean, there's a lot of information about it online and on LinkedIn and lots of other sources in terms of giving you ideas to get started. But um, yeah, we might have to go for a trifecta later, Ken. Maybe like yeah, <laughs> sometime well- down the road. And we can open up to the audience, right? Like maybe a call to action for anyone listening in is, is if there was any specific area that we, you guys want us to go deeper into, just, you know, ping mess, you know, ping me. And I will definitely put it on the docket because I would like to. But I think that we hit a lot of the high level areas. 
ultimately mm. just getting people to open their minds and go, you know, try this. Mm. You know, yeah. I will say too, um, depending on what age range you are, you know, you and I are around the same age range, but I don't know if you were like me, but like from the age of like 18 to 25, I actually like forgot that it was fun to learn new things. I don't know if you were the same way. I just, that's how that was. This is me. I mean, I spent like, I guess, how long was that? I, so I, I did like two bachelor degrees and, and like post-grad study as well. So I spent a lot of time in school and by the end I would sob gently at my desk when I had to write essays and stuff. But like, and I was always like, I mean, historically all the way through school, like, you know, um, I was almost going to say primary school and high school, but um, elementary school, middle school, high school. Um, I was such a bookworm and then going to university just kind of killed that for me. Like I was, right. it took me years after that to pick up a book again and read for pleasure because, you but, know, so I mean, yeah, it's kind of, but kind isn't of a that, funny one. isn't that interesting though? Like there, I was the same way. Chelsea was the same way, right? She just got her master's and she just feels yeah. like, I mean, to read a book or like to go online and try yeah. to figure something out is just like, the worst thing, but like, so tiring. Yeah. But I have to say though, like when you're learning something because you want to go learn it and then yes. you do learn it's it. Totally. It, I mean, I'm getting goosebumps even saying it out loud because I have found in the last few years, I love learning new things. I like trying new things. Love I like, t- yes, totally. And like challenging your mind in new ways. And even like something I've really enjoyed to circle right back to the start of this conversation, but like renovating my house. Like I was Googling how to pull bathroom taps apart the other day and I replaced all the hardware in my bathroom and things like that. Like, I mean, it's kind of fun to like learn a new skill and it's quite empowering to, you know, even with something like that, which is so different to what I do for a living every day, but it's exciting, you know, and it, and it's, I think it does, it keeps you sharp and it also makes it easier to keep learning. I think if your brain is in learning mode, it's kind of used to absorbing and processing new information and it kind of makes the next thing easier once you kind of build that momentum. Right. And I just, I want to encourage people to do more of that. Like I had someone the other day, they were like, Ken, you know, how do you, how do you know how to do all these like podcast things? And I can't remember what else I kind of posted about recently. They're like, how do you know how to do all those things? And I was like, well, what do you mean? And they're like, you're just doing so many new things. Oh, like I did the pallet wall project in the garage and I did some other things. And I was like, "I, I don't know. I just like looked it up. Like, I mean, I looked at, I mean, right. Like I was on YouTube, Pinterest, like, and I just, I was like, that looks cool for the house. So I want to go do it. Right. And so you learned how to do it. And then you were so proud of what you did afterwards. And it was like motivating, right? Like, I mean, I worked on that wall from in the same time I'm right now, like Jordan would go down at eight o'clock and I would work on that from like eight o'clock to 10, 11 o'clock at night for a couple of weeks. And it, it fired me up. Right. And finding joy in learning new things and just going out and trying it and doing it and testing it and knowing you're going to be frustrated, you're going to be stressed. There's going to be things that are annoying, but like at the end of it, it's such a rewarding process. And I just really want to encourage people to get into that more regardless, even if you're in school or whatever, because like that's a, that's a hard thing for me to swallow. You're going to school to get a piece of paper so you can go get this job. But then now you feel killed inside to go learn other things. When I'm so fired up to go learn new things and then see how they play out, you know, and I just want more people to feel that way because that's a really fun place to be, you know? Yeah, definitely. (laughs) All right. Well, we will end this here. Thank you all for listening in. And again, if you want us to dig into anything specific on AI or talk about the the Australian real estate market. I'll definitely have Curly on for a trifecta. So it's been a whole journey of discovery. <laughs> I am very grateful for you, Curly. Thanks for having me, Ken. It's always fun.